Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast where I unfold, with the help of my amazing guests from across the world, how sustainability practices are integrated into business operations in various industries. My name is Anna. I am an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of the show. Today, I'd like to take a somewhat unusual topic for me and for the podcast's main focus. Even though it's not business, economy, or any particular industry that we will be covering today from a sustainability pr- perspective, it's something very connected to all of it at the same time. Women and environment. We will be talking about feminism, environmental and climate activism, economic empowerment of the society as a whole, and women as part of it. We will try to get to the core and essence of ecofeminism. The United Nations Environment Program says, Around the world, environmental conditions impact the life of women and men in different ways, as a result of existing inequalities. Gender roles often create differences in the ways men and women act in relation to the environment and in the ways men and women are enabled or prevented from acting as agents of environmental change. When it comes to putting a gender lens on climate change and environmental issues, there is one particular school of thought that prioritizes women, the concept of ecofeminism. The name implies the basic idea, but what exactly is ecofeminism? Let's find it out. Together with my cool and progressive guest, Miri Shahe Sula, a gender advisor at the SIT, Center for Counseling, Social Services and Research in Kosovo, we will try to make sense of it. Miri helps organizations to find which groups of people they should engage with and how. She runs awareness campaigns, runs workshops on gender equality and violence prevention, and so much more. And I'm very excited that Miri decided to join us today at Sustainability Explored. I can't wait to start our interview. Before we do, you can use this moment to subscribe to the podcast to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, are you ready? Let's jump right into the interview. My guest today is Miri Shahe Sula. I found her wonderful interview on uh, ecofeminism in Kosovo and immediately invited for an interview on sustainability export. For the easiness, I will call you Miri, if that's fine yes. with you. So Miri, yes. to start with and not to waste too much time dancing around the topic. People, most of the listeners that are coming now from 84 countries, I'm saying that and I'm impressed and shocked myself. Mm-hmm. Most of the people will not know where the country is. It was the case with Ukraine for many years. Now it's getting better for bad reasons, unfortunately, for the war. Could you introduce yourself in the context of your country, where it is, who you are and uh, what you are doing now? Yeah, uh, thank you, Anna, for having me. As uh, you said, my name is Miri but I prefer Miri because it's easier. (laughs) 
And yes, I'm from Kosovo. Kosovo is a small country. We are only like 1.7 million people here. And it's located in Southeast Europe, in the Balkans. Uh, hopefully, people who have heard about Balkans know that we have quite a complicated history. And of course, Kosovo is part of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, we are quite a new country. We only declared our independence in 2008. So we are still figuring out how to build a state and how to have proper institutions and how to develop our democracy. So this is uh, pretty much Kosovo. But the good thing about uh, our country is that we have really young population. More than 60% of our population is under 25, under 30 now because it has changed. So it's quite young population and so many young people are, you know, just still exploring the world and themselves and going abroad and studying and working and coming back and doing things. So it is really cool country, but unfortunately, as you said about, you, about Ukraine, uh, usually for people who already have heard about Kosovo, the only things they have heard about is war and all that history, but there are so many more things about Kosovo than just the... Violent. I mean, the war and uh, that, and that uh, part of the history. So, um, yeah, this is uh, where Kosovo is and what is happening here. You just reminded me when I was going to Kosovo for the listeners, I was doing an environmental journalism story, a research on lignite power plants in Kosovo. That was right after I graduated with my master's. Uh, so. Yeah, we got a grant from Robert Bosch Foundation late 2015 and like February, March uh, next year. So 2016, I went to Kosovo and I was traveling from France. All my family is in Ukraine and they're telling me, where, where are you going? Are you crazy? The war is still going on. I'm like, chill, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> Haven't we seen, you know, in our own country, we couldn't expect, of course, how things will evolve. Uh, but yeah, it's a very friendly country. I still have lots of friends there. We are in good terms. Nothing is nothing strange happened to me. So that that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. What, war ended like twenty years ago. So yeah, but you know, it's it's very hard to break uh, the image in, in people's minds. Of course, yeah. even though like yeah, it was uh, nineteen ninety one was almost thirty years ago. It was just ten, no. Yeah, it was 98, 99 in Kosovo, but I mean, so much has happened since then. And people, even people living here, especially young people who were born after the war, now they're in their 20s, and it's just not part of their lives anymore. It's just, uh, you know, in the history, it's in the past. Time flies. Yes. Uh, I remember after my trip, of course, we finished the environmental story, but also on my medium, on my travel medium blog i wrote about kosovo the story was called and is called kosovo monamur mm. i added a special paragraph on patriarchy now i remember it was around 8th of march that we were there mm. and it was the only day in in the whole trip that lasted i don't know like a week that women were seen and acknowledged mm -hmm. In all yeah. other occasions, every other day, I felt invisible. And I even came up with the concept of invisible woman, where you come uh, with the group of people and you're the only person with whom they don't shake hands. And they, they like avoid and they don't look at you. They don't even say hello because, because I don't even know what. <laughs> 
and why because you are not a man man okay we're shaking hands who are you even though i did the biggest part of the job i was interviewing the guys that came with me were helping they were locals uh there was lucas my uh documentary photographer and videographer so mm -hmm. his work was mostly static the day we visited the mayor of one uh, city mm -hmm. and i was shocked i ke i kept that image for the rest until now like five years later mm -hmm. i still remember it could you I don't know, at least try to explain to me and to everyone out there who is listening, what's the deal? Why is patriarchy so strong and so intertwined in everyday actions in everything? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. I mean, even though a lot of things are changing in Kosovo, and uh, fortunately I can say for good, and it's usually because of these young people, but yes indeed we are a very patriarchal society and even if you don't look at these you know um details in daily life you can still see the statistics of women being killed in kosovo and violence against women and domestic violence which is uh most of the time gender-based violence because it's violence against uh women just because they're women so of course we are still dealing with all of these issues with like really how to say uh really like basic things like just protecting women's lives, just having women, you know, being seen as people, as, yeah. uh, uh, as humans as well. But I guess since because of our history and because um, everything that is, how to say, everything about history is dominated by, you know, this war narratives and all of that. And we know that in all war narratives all across the world, there's men who are dominating that narrative. And it's usually men who get to decide how to shape the way we talk about, you know, public issues and everything. And since because of all of those conflicts and wars and everything, we have always seen men as those who, you know, um, dominate and those who have power and those who, uh, you know, uh, it, the public sphere we kind of thought that it belongs to them so because everything was happening from men and for and for them in the public sphere that of course was also reflected in the private sphere and uh, in the private sphere as well women are seen as just you know some servants most of the time because uh just to give some numbers like because in kosovo more than 80 percent of women don't work uh, and i mean don't work they're not engaged in uh, you know a work with a paid work so it's only 13% of women who work and usually they are um, focused on urban areas. So we can see this big difference between urban and rural areas and how these gender issues and gender equality um, is reflected. Uh, but still, because in politics we don't have, we only had our first female uh, prime, uh, candidate for prime minister uh, these last elections. We don't have any uh, woman mayor in any of our municipalities. We only had one. Um, it was like a few years ago, and that was it. Uh, we still have gender quota in our parliament. Otherwise, we couldn't have women represented in the parliament. Because, again, we just couldn't think uh, about public spaces, about institutions, and about a state in general as something that also belongs to women. We couldn't see women, you know, uh, being there. So, of course, we needed quota. And we still have all of these numbers that are telling you that, yes, women are nowhere. But then if you come in Pristina, in the capital city, and you just see how life is going on, you really can't relate to all of this, what I'm saying. Because you think that, you know, Kosovo is just like any European country, because this is what's happening in the capital. 
where everyone is like focused and everything what is happening in Kosovo is happening here, activism and all of it. But if you go outside, women are still in the domestic sphere, women are still working all day long uh, without getting paid. And this has been actually our call in the last, in this uh, 8th of March, because we have, you know, traditional marches for 8th of March. And every year is a different theme, it's a different call, and this year was this one. Uh, we want, uh, you know, paid uh, work, domestic labor, we want women to get paid for that. Because, you know, they are literally enabling this state to function, and they are uh, enabling public sphere to function, people to go out and work, but nothing is happening to them. I mean, uh, nothing is being given to them. And yeah, and then another really, really big issue in our country is with property rights and inheritance. Because, you know, traditionally, of course, inheritance always belonged to men. This is how traditionally it worked. But now we have laws. We have new laws from that uh, come from, you know, directly from European Union uh, directives. And uh, in the laws, women uh, have right, and actually they must also... Uh, have their property and be part of the inheritance in families and all of that but because our traditional norms uh, sometimes are stronger than even the law we still have only like four percent of women in Kosovo who inherit from their families only four percent which is like you know you understand that the normal here is for women not to inherit anything and then we only have like 70 percent of women who have properties in their name you know, they either bought them or something. So if you have women in this position where they don't have anything from their families, where they are not see, not even seen part of, you know, their uh, family, because they are kind of, let's say, they are used, you know, they are used, they do, they work and do everything for their families, but when it comes to, you know, sharing something with them, then they are not seen as part of the families. And so if you have women in this position where they don't have anything for themselves, where they don't have a room of their own or money of their own or anything, of course they can't just go uh, in the public sphere and do something or be engaged in politics or, you know, own a business or do something because it starts from, from there. And when you're used to see women like this, that is, of course, reflected even in the streets or even in the school or uh, in the workplace or, any, or anywhere because, you know, women to you are just... Uh, the unusual, you know, it's, they are not, you know, part of, uh, um, of a, a statehood or part of your country or your society. They are just seen as, you know, the unusual. So wherever you go, you are seen as a woman, first of all, and then as uh, uh, something else. And all of this, of course, it's because of this economic inequality and uh, gender, um, how to say, uh, norms that we have built in our societies for years and years. But I am I'm saying I still strongly believe that because of young people, things will change because things have changed in Kosovo for a short time, like um, all the time. Let's say 50, 50 years ago, most of the people in Kosovo couldn't read. They were illiterate. So now after 50 years, you know, we have universities, we have people who speak, you know, second language, most of them, any language. And of course, uh, so much has changed for 50 years. So I truly believe that given that all of this, what is happening with all our activism, protests and everything, our calls, of course, young people will start questioning these norms and wanting to change things. And hopefully in a few years, uh, we will start seeing women uh, getting what it belongs to them and what they deserve. It's a very dynamic country, you're right. And yeah, I spent most of my time in Pristina and I based my um, impression of the country. Mm -hmm. I was also in prison uh, during mm -hmm. the, day, uh, the time of the um, 
film festival. By the way, is it happening this year? Doku Fest. Doku Fest. Uh, I am not sure. I think they'll do something, but I'm not sure if it's going to be the same like other years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but definitely rural areas are super different. How in this context we have an activist like you? Because society is one side of it, but then there is a family. And the family also imposes their views on you as a girl, as a woman. I read that part of your story where mm -hmm. you say you entered, you got a scholarship to go to study in the US. By the way, a question straight there. How come every almost second person in Kosovo <laughs> going to study in the US? Uh -huh. We'll answer that in a second. And when your father, continuing with the story, when your father said, hmm, shall you be a boy? I would allow that, but I don't. And you say, mm. well, actually I'm not asking. <laughs> What's the point? How is that possible? That Where did you get this first push? How did you make mm -hmm. the first step? Where did you understand in the first place that something is going wrong and I'm not, I'm not an equal citizen? You know, my mm -hmm. younger, younger brother has more rights uh, than me, even though I assume you, like we, we have the constitution, where in the constitution there is your equal right written down. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't even know for myself how it all started because, you know, I have other uh, girls you know, in my family and not all of us, you know, started questioning. And it's not like I was reading something, you know, and uh, suddenly it became clear to me that, you know, I'm oppressed or that women are oppressed. It was just something like uh, really, really, really personal. Uh, it was, let's say, my mom. It was my, my aunts and their stories. They would tell that they weren't allowed to go to school. They were only allowed to finish like the eighth grade. Only some of them, most of them, they finished at fourth grade. And, you know, just seeing the small details in everyday life, like men were allowed to speak over you, like just to decide uh, about everything, the way you wear, what you eat and all of it. Women were those who would cook the food, but not eat that food, you know, and these were like really small things that affected me so much. And I was like, this is so unfair because it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's like woman, man, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just we're humans and for someone to cook for all day long. And because we were a really big family and I remember my mom would cook like really all day long, three times uh, per day, like three meals for like 30, 40 people. But she would be the last one to eat if there were any leftovers. And that was just like you know, just so unfair. So you start questioning all of these things. And of course you still don't have answer because you're so young. And you try to make sense of, you know, life and things and how uh, we function. And you go to school and you kind of see the same things happening. And, you know, you just start looking for answers and you start, you know, reading something, seeing different uh, practice, like uh, seeing how someone else is living and understanding that oh actually my life like that wasn't the normal there is something else you know it's not like the whole world is like this because when you grow up you think that the whole world is like that you know like and then you see women who actually work outside women who are successful and it's like whoa so this was just you know uh forbidden it's not that they couldn't but they just didn't allow them and this is how it started then i started studying uh, political science because you know i thought like i will probably because uh, I always felt that, you know, just going against the system and talking to people and, you know, and I was like, I will probably be in politics. I was so wrong then. <laughs> but that's how I decided. And and I knew from then on that I really wanted to understand more and more about how gender affects our lives and why women are in the position that they are. 
and why women can just you know um, uh, how to say speak her mind just the ba the basic really basic thing and and then that's where, where I found about the scholarship uh, in the US and I could only choose the, uh, what I wanted to study not the university and that was all I needed actually because I just wanted to study gender studies anywhere and yeah, so uh, that's uh, I got the scholarship, and I was studying at University of Northern Iowa uh, for gen women's and gender studies, and it was really, really, really like that's uh, what it completely changed my life. I mean, I would still find something else if I didn't got this that scholarship, but just reading that you know feminists would write from like 1870s, 1880s, like for since then they would talk about these basic things. Like, let's say I would read Virginia Woolf when she talks about women being like revolutionary just by feeding themselves, you know, just by eating enough. What, and I was like, whoa, I mean, <laughs> this yeah. is uh, something that I didn't know people would write about. And so, yeah, um, but of course, because I was the first one in my family who actually graduated, uh, who went to in university. Thank you. And I uh, meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I understand that for them it was something, you know, they couldn't understand it, how, like, what is happening with her, like, uh, you know, she's something different, but we don't know exactly what to think of her, what to do with her. So for my father, I kind of understand him that he just didn't understand what was happening. And he was like, how are you, uh, a girl alone, going to go in the US and, you know, stay there for two years? So for him, it was like just impossible to think of that. And but since the beginning, I mean, I knew exactly what I needed to do, and uh, I didn't have any question uh, about that. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, what happened, and I guess the reason why you meet so many people who have studied in the US and Kosovo, um, I don't know, because there are like probably four or five hundred of us, and I guess because most of us, you know, are engaged in um, different institutions and civil society organizations. So usually when people come from outside, you know, internationals, they usually meet someone from us, but it's unfortunately not, not so many. I mean, there are so many other young people in Kosovo who I really wish had the chance to go outside and to go abroad and study because they're really smart, but it's just that there are not so many opportunities. Uh, and us uh, who had this opportunity to study in the US, now we're back and trying to do something and just, you know, at least talk to people and present them with a different perspective because I know how important it is to always have that different perspective. To always see that, no, this is not the normal, that there, things can be different because this is what literally, uh, you know, helped me to survive. And just by seeing that there is something else that you can actually live differently. You don't have to, to be like this. So I understand the power of that. Did you want to stay or were you committed to come back and start rebuilding your own country? I was so committed to come back <laughs> because I just couldn't wait to come back because I was, uh, so we could choose between a uh, violence prevention track and health uh, track. And of course I, I chose violence prevention and reading about violence and reading what is happening in Kosovo. I didn't know that things were like this in Kosovo when I went there. Like I didn't know women were suffering so much and you know, there was so much domestic violence. And I didn't know, you know, even perhaps how to define violence. I didn't know about emotional, verbal, and economic violence so much because that was just the normal. That was considered the normal. And then you understand that, no, actually, this is something that, you know, it's even, um, you know, punishable by law. And uh, so I was really, really committed because if nothing else, I knew that there are so many other people in Kosovo who don't have this information because, you know, sometimes this is the more, most powerful thing just to have the information. 
and I really wanted to come back and work with shelters and that's what I started doing and just you know uh, just work with people to just how to say raise awareness that this is what is happening in Kosovo and this is what is happening to women just because they're women and these are the reasons why women are this in this position so I have been trying to do that since I came back like two years ago I think and sometimes it's you know sometimes you have good days because you hear some good news or something and sometimes it's just really disappointing because women are still being killed and sometimes you just feel so powerless because you don't know how to make that stop yeah now you are working at the center for counseling social services and research and your role is gender advisor yeah <laughs> could you tell someone like me who's very far away from comprehending what is this role about yeah uh, well, gender advisor is quite a new position even for here in Kosovo for our local organizations because international NGOs, they would have this position in like EU institutions and all of them. Uh, so even for us here, it was quite hard to explain what is this position and what am I, am I doing. So what I do is just, uh, you know, uh, I identify people that we need to work with. I identify other organizations that we need to work with, like you know, gender studies centers, shelters, uh, uh, high schools, group of young people, and uh, we work with a lot of um, uh, high schools. And now we started working with the University of Pristina as well. So we do trainings and workshops with that on gender identity, gender equality, on violence prevention, on toxic masculinity, all of these topics that are really important to discuss. And to understand, since we don't talk uh, about gender norms and uh, gender issues in general in our schools, we need informal education and we need organizations like us that can go and, uh, you know, spread the information. Uh, so this is what I do. And then uh, I also work closely with the University of Pristina and their students in just exploring different topics and, you know, finding, uh, how to say, um different uh different uh ideas and uh, issues that concern us and come up with you know uh, different um activities and then we do like awareness raising and uh other like let's say one of the projects that uh, we did last year it was for the um, it was an exhibition with uh, it was called the last story and in that exhibition, we uh, showed the last stories of women who were killed in Kosovo in the last four years. Unfortunately, we had like 11 stories and uh, we put it in this here uh, in the, in, of course, in the public, in a center in Pristina, so people could walk by and stop and read their stories. And so what I did there, I just showed, I just uh, wrote like uh, how those women were killed, where, and you know, just it was really like explicit but i wanted people to feel that because some people some women in kosovo were killed like when they were sleeping with access from their you know husbands some were killed like you know in front of their kids and with knives and it's just like really hard stories to read but i wanted people to read that because we don't see it in the news and it took quite a long time to just find the information for these women because there is not so again like you can find so much information because it's usually reported like another woman is killed and that's it and it, that was really powerful so this is what uh, pretty much what's my uh, what i focus on just trying to find these things and make them public you know 
uh, talk about domestic violence not as a private issue anymore. Like we do a lot of panel discussion, like discussions, we invite people and all of it. Um, just to try and have these conversations in the public. Like, let's not talk about domestic violence but as a private issue anymore. Let's put it in the public, in front of, you know, people where they have to, you know, face with that. So this is... <laughs> yeah, really expose them. I, rem I yeah. think I remember some installation, but that was related to wartime rapes and killings of women. And mm -hmm. I also stopped mm -hmm. by, I was... Yeah. I was shocked. Yeah. I have I have too many questions. How is your father taking your job now? How, how uh, it? They don't under, quite understand what I do, to be honest. Like, so I try to explain to them what I do, and it's just like whenever someone asks ask them, like, what is she doing, and they're like, we don't know. She does something there, <laughs> and usually what they say is she works with women. So whenever I'm like on TV or somewhere, I, uh, I know my grandpa last time he said. So you went in the U.S., you studied there, you did all that school, and now you just talk about women, like, <laughs> like you're wasting your time. It's a loop. So they just know that I work some, something with women's rights, but that's all that they have to know, because I, I see that now they are really more careful about how they talk about women and what they say and how we talk about property and inheritance in our home. So I know that uh, this is working, even though they don't quite understand how and, and, and I mean how I do it what, what I do it but they really understand the message behind yeah. it so that's uh, we started here there is a, a whole discourse of integrating feminitives in the language so adding mm -hmm. the suffixes that would identify a profession as a female uh, exercise in a certain profession yeah. is it the case in Albanian Fortunately, we have that in our language. So we have, like, if we say doctor, we have female and male doctors, like different uh, names. So, I mean, for different uh, titles, different professions, we have, we already have that. But however, we still have this, like, for ombudsperson, ombudsperson for example, we still call it, like, uh, male lawyer of um, the people, because this is how it's called. So this is something that, uh, we have it in our language. We can also call it like female lawyer, but we choose to call it male lawyer. Mm. So these are things that we have to change, but we already have the language for that. We are just not using it, which I guess is even worse because you have it, but you're just not using it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, because it's, it's anyway, it's part of the discussion is how you, I read the story yesterday, the, the boss of the girl who was a journalist 20 years ago uh, opens the vocabulary and says, you see, what is it written here? Journalist. Do you see journalist ka? Yeah. <laughs> no, but that is the problem. The name doesn't exist, but I do. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. What yeah, shall yeah, we yeah. do about it? Because, you know, it's, it really matters what you name, you know, because when you name something, then it starts existing. And just by refusing to name certain professions, you know, with female names, is also, how to say, trying not to count uh, them as, you know, professions, just trying to erase that part that relates to women. So, of course, language is, is extremely important because it builds in our minds the way we think about different things, the way we think about certain profession. If we say it always, like, in a male um like journalist or anything like this is 
we are going to think about these professions as something that only belongs to males. So first, this is really, really, really important, I think, just starting to build the language, a feminist language, you know, just a language that also, uh, how to say, uh, works for women as well, just that, that yeah. counts for them. It shapes the reality. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. How on top of your gender interests and gender studies and women and uh, political and social so, sociological studies, you became interested in environmental stuff. And what's the context of the country in that regard? Mm, yeah, well, uh, that's interesting because I wouldn't think that I would be concerned as much about environmental issues because I thought that, you know, um, my mind is just so focused on these like gender inequalities and all of that. But then trying to understand why this uh, inequality, why these inequalities exist, like why there is so much social injustice, and just trying to understand the root causes of violence, like why people are still so violent to each other, why they are violent to people that they are supposed to love. You know, just reading about all of this, and you start reading about. Uh, the root causes that are related to the way we think, like how we people, how to say, position ourselves um, uh, like with each other and also uh, in relationship with nature and everything. And you see that, you know, uh, as uh, Karen Warren and Vandana Shiva, two uh, really famous economists talk about, they say it all, it all has to do with the way we think, like because we people tend to see things uh, and our differences, because of course we are all different, uh, tend to put those differences in a hierarchy of values. So like we put something higher and value something more, some of differences and some of them we value uh, less and put them at the bottom. And then we usually think that those that are higher in, uh, in this case, like in our society, everything related to, you know, masculinity and everything related to men is more valuable than those with, uh, you know, related to women or femininity. And then just because something is higher in that hierarchy, we think that it is, it is superior, therefore can and should dominate with uh, those at the bottom. So this is why men sometimes even use violence, you know, just to keep that position and to dominate women. So violence in the end was just like used as a means for, for men to control and to be dominant and, uh, you know, to keep that uh, position. But then the same thing that is happening with this, with men and women and violence, is happening with humans and nature as well, like culture versus nature, because we humans value ourselves more than nature. We think that we are, we are more valuable than non-human world in general. So of course we, we think of ourselves as more superior and uh, we put ourselves high in this hierarchy of values. So we think that because of that, we, sh we can and we should dominate with everything that is non-human, including like nature around us, animals and everything. And that, when I first like started reading about this uh, perspective on ecofeminism and how feminism and uh, you know ecology and uh, environmental issues are related, it was just like you know a big answer that you were waiting for because this is why we think the way we think. Like I how to say like I found myself as a human now in the position where I was oppressing something someone else you know i felt like men oppressing women but like human oppressing nature like destroying it just because i can or like eating animals just because you can when you don't actually have to and all of it and that was really interesting because it was the way it explains like uh, this connection is that you know we have social injustices and they happen for this reason and then we have environmental injustices and they also happen for this reason because we think the way we think 
And this is, and, and since feminism tries to understand these uh, social injustices from a gender perspective and to see how gender, how, how to say, shapes this uh, relations and how gender, uh, how to say, affects us to think about ourselves as more valuable, less valuable. In the same way, environmental injustices happen because we think the way we think. And feminism helps us to understand and to how to end this uh, hierarchy, to destroy it. So this is why it's eco-feminism. So you try to understand ecological, uh, like uh, ecology in general, environmental injustice from a feminist lens, from this uh, lens where you see yourself as, uh, how to say, an oppressor, uh, and uh, you just want to end it. So that was like how it related feminism and uh, ecology and why it's called ecofeminism because of course there are different perspectives and some say that you know uh, if we look at uh, ecological issues environmental issues like how they are related to women specifically like how women uh, in different uh, uh, contexts can be more affected by climate change and everything and of course that is a valid point of view but my point of view, it's like, for me, uh, it's, I think it's deeper than that. It's not just about women and nature. And of course, I understand because women are in a more vulnerable position, they can be more affected with these climate changes. And, but still, the reason that climate changes are happening, uh, especially since the Industrial Revolution in the 70s, uh, and 80s, uh, I mean, 70s, 60s, 80s, 1840s, since then, like, when people, how to say, started thinking about nature differently and, and uh, broke this connection with nature, this relationship, this, um, this is where it started, because we started thinking of nature as something that, like, like as a resource that we have to use it, and we can, you know, uh, use it in on for profit and you know uh, and then with capitalism we thought that okay we need to profit more and more and own more and more and even if that includes destroying nature more and more this is the the goal was just to be you know more powerful and um so yeah for me i think this is the most important thing just it's quite radical because it is it has to do with the way we think if we change the way we think if we see ourselves again in that connection with nature something that you know, we are not more than it or less than it. We are just, you know, one in a big circle that everything is like going around and we need each other to survive, you know, on human world, human world and all of it. And just not to see ourselves as superior and some, as someone who has to dominate with non-human world, then this is it. We will start also thinking differently about social issues because then we don't have to think in this hierarchical uh, way, like to value something less or more. We will just see each other as, you know, dependent on each other. Yeah. Nature with humans, humans with each other. I was doing a lot of research, and as I told you before we started the recording, the more I read, the more confused I am. Here's the potentially stupid question then. <laughs> if environmentalism and feminism that form ecofeminism are not only about environment and women, or for women, is there a place for men to join this, this discourse? Of course, yes. Uh, as I said, there is only one point of view, but it's definitely very limited. So it, it is not just about women and environment. Uh, for men, it is really important to see because, you know, patriarchy and this way uh, of thinking also puts a lot of pressure on men for them because they have to keep that position of power, you know, and they have to use whatever they can just to keep that position and sometimes even including violence, all forms of violence. 
So I think it is really important for men to, uh, by trying to understand more about our relationship with nature, to also understand their position in the society and why they are in the position they are, uh, in which they are. So uh, for, for men as well, like women, they just have to think as humans, you know, in relationship with nature. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman or any uh, other gender. It doesn't matter your identity. In this case, you're just a human in relation with nature. So you look, am I, you know, exploiting nature? Am I destroying it more than, you know, like, am I using uh, nature's resources more than I actually need to, you know? And uh, I think this is the point where we start to think of ourselves not as genders, but as, you know, as, as humans. So it's just um, men thinking about themselves, I guess, um, how we are building this relationship and why this is happening uh and then also try to understand through this lens through like eco-feminist lens to also understand our social you know structures and uh, positions so yeah i don't think it has to do only with nature and women like that would be so limited like really limited it has to do with nature and humans like non-human world actually in general and humans and then if we look only into the human sphere then we have to do with genders but where we, when we go to like uh, environmental issues, then I don't think there is a gender in trying to understand the, re the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you, I just, well, you reminded me of the simple truth. Uh, feminism is not about women rights. It's about human rights. Yes, yes. But and because women are the issue, because women are the problem now, that's why it is feminism and that's why because we are trying to tackle with a specific problem like you know i hate to make this comparison but it's what is happening in the us like now with uh, black lives matter people are saying we of course know that all lives matter of course we all know that but the problem here is black lives because black people are those who are being killed so let's focus on this issue and it's the same with feminism and we are not saying that women or whoever is more valuable valuable or whatever we're just saying that women like the problem exists with women like women are being oppressed because they're women so let's tackle this issue but we are not saying that other lives are uh, like other uh how to say genders and uh, humans in general uh humans rights are not, not as important because when people sometimes say why you're not talking about human rights then but just about women's rights or like why you're not calling this egalitarian and not like feminist or something because, you know, it's just that we're tackling a specific issue. That's it. Nothing more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is the society in Kosovo taking, getting on board with the idea, getting on board with your activism and with your position? Are they more like, oh, what are you telling us? We've been living a popular um, expression here. We've been living like that for ages. Now you're going to tell us how to live? Come on. Yeah. Or they're more like, okay, no, wait, really, the world is changing. Things are changing. Educate me. Mm -hmm. What's the position? Yeah, I guess you have both, like you have people who are really willing to, how to say, learn something new and they really want to see world from a different lens and they want to have that information. And of course, there are some people who are, uh, who say that, I mean, this is how we live and you are just trying to come here with those, you know, American ideas of like doing something, I don't know. And, but I guess when you present people with the right information, when you tell them that 
actually no this is not how we have always lived you know things have changed throughout the history that at some time ago you know people actually had the healthy relationship with nature because they understood how important it is and sometimes in rural areas this is still happening because people understand that they you know they need nature to survive but then this is what happened like we had the like uh, industrial revolution like people started you know building and and discovering tools and they understood that oh we can have more power you know over nature and all of that so this is how it changed and then you just present them with all the climate change and all the bad things that happened in like a uh, hundred years it was much more than what happened all years before that and it was all because of humans and because of what we did and be and because then People, you know, started developing new systems like we developed uh, capitalism where we put so much focus on, uh, how to say, uh, people earning and uh, oppressing others uh, and, how to say, using others for their profit. This is how the history changed and history has been changing all the time. It's just that we think because we live in such short period of time, like, you know, like 60, 80, 90 years, and perhaps nothing changes in that uh, period of time. We think that this is how things have always been, but no, they haven't. Things have been changing all the time. And it is our, how to say, uh, responsibility to also try and affect this change, but for good. Since we can, anyway, affect it, because we are we shape uh, like uh, history, then let's do it for good. Let's try to at least see things from a different lens, not the one that has been presented to us. Like not to think that, okay, so we can, you know, destroy the nature, but we can earn something for ourselves, uh, then let's do it because, you know, this is how humans survive. But no, that's, that's just not the case. You know, it's, it's enough if you just know a bit about history and what happened and why climate change is such a big issue and how much it can destroy our lives and how much it affects different groups of people and especially those people who are actually not causing these changes because usually people who are responsible for these uh, biggest damages uh, that are being done uh, on earth are usually people who are how to say safest because they can because they can just you know escape from whatever is happening they can still have good lives but those who are most affected are those who are really oppressed those who are being used by the powerful ones so i think just making people think about uh, how to say the world and our society and humanity in general from these perspectives just to see ourselves as part of something bigger not that just something that we are here living dying and that's it then i think it's how to say easier to make people want to at least listen want to at least uh, try and start understanding that, oh, so we can actually, you know, uh, make some good changes and we actually have a role in all of this, what is happening. So, yeah, I guess, of course, we, we have both of those people, but uh, just knowing the right way to approach people in different contexts and just uh, knowing what to present to them, I, I guess uh, it, it helps at least starting the conversation. Do you already see the the results of climate change or unfolding of the climate change in Kosovo? Yes, in the last years we have had more like forest fires and like mm -hmm. since 2000 we have had more than uh, all years before that so of course I uh, that is related with climate change and if we continue uh, in the same path like what is happening right now for example I have some notes here um okay so gaia is an, an environmental organization and they have done research and they show that the greenhouse 
uh, gas emission in Kosovo per unit of GDP are high, almost double than those of the European Union average. So this is something really concerning. And because of this, uh, some of the climate change impacts uh, are, of course, this exposure to hazards like, as I said, forest fires or floods. Um, and then also we have increase of new forms of pollution and water-related diseases. And when we talk about water-related diseases, and again, I'm saying are usually those, uh, you know, uh, people who are living in poverty and people who have uh, not ac so much access to like um, public services or like economy uh, in, in general that suffer from this. So of course we will, uh, we can see all of these. Um, uh, problems uh, happening because of climate change and uh, and since Kosovo is not like it's still a developing country it's not like really developed uh, country we are prone to really suffer from these damages that are related especially with water and uh, the air pollution so yeah wow uh, another question I have and I see that it's time to wrap up could you name top three to five traits of ecofeminism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as I said, since it has to do with uh, the way we think and all of that, which is my focus, I think we, what we have to remember is that we humans think in a hierarchical way and we have to say build a hierarchy of values and we need to fight that. We need to fight that idea that we need to always value something more or less because everything is different, but everything should be how to say valued because of these differences and also we need to fight this logic of domination because we always think as humans that you know we have to dominate over something over someone and that is also uh, something that ecofeminism fights uh, the idea that you you don't actually have to dominate over nature you know because you know this is a stupid idea uh, uh, what else from ecofeminism i get i think uh it's important to remember is that you know, when we talk about social injustices and we understand how they're all interconnected, so like if we talk about, let's say, racism, sexism, or like classism, anything, we can see that they are all connected because like you're in a certain position because of different identities. But then we also need to understand that these social injustices are very much connected, like very much interconnected with environmental injustices. Because if you're in a certain position because of these social injustices, again, I'm saying, let's say you're living in poverty, like your class, your race, everything that affects that, your gender, then you are more, how to say, uh, vulnerable to also um, climate change and all that is happening. So we really need to start seeing this uh, as interconnected social injustices with environmental injustices. And in the end, I guess it's just not when we talk about our relationship with nature, it is, as we said, it is really important not to see ourselves as gendered, but just to see ourselves as humans, because this is what it is really, it's just human versus non-human world. And we need to build a better connection if we want to, you know, have a healthy life, healthier life and just to thrive. So, yeah. To me, you know, all that you named breaks down to my personal motto, live and let live. Yes, yes. As simple <laughs> as that. For those yes. who would like to expand on their research and go further, understand how to get involved in the movement, what would you suggest to read, watch? What's the kind of advice you could give? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I would definitely suggest the book by uh, Karen Warren and, uh, no, but by Vandana Shiva, actually, it's on ecofeminism. And you just have, you know, the very basic, simple essays on ecofeminism from different perspectives. It talks about, you know, mas masculinity and how we have, we see the world like from this uh, masculine lens and how, and then it talks about earth as mother earth, you know, earth uh, perceived as uh, a female because, you know, it's seen as, uh, how to say, it's considered a resource the same way that women are considered as a resource because women can reproduce and earth can reproduce. And so that is really interesting and you don't have only one like essay, but you have like different articles in there that uh, talk about this. And I would also suggest like some really good TED Talks perhaps just to start with trying to understand because it's so like simple and clear and it's just like short. So listen uh, like uh, and, re and read articles by Karen Warren because she talks about this um, logic of domination and the way we think and how to see nature. And yeah, but I guess when you start... Um, especially with Vandana Shiva because she works in, in India and she's uh, working there protecting the seeds because people are not allowed there to preserve their own seeds. And so she's working on that. By and that is really, yes, yes, yes. The seeds you need to plant uh, your crops and everything. Because of, uh, I forgot their name now, uh, American company, like um, really powerful company, uh, Monsanto. Huh? Monsanto. Huh, yes, 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 yes. Because of them, uh, people uh, in rural areas in India, they can't even save their seeds because they are patented from them. So this is a really big issue in India. And she is working on that. And the way she talks about ecofeminism is really what got me really interested. So I would highly uh, recommend you uh, read her articles and um, How watch her. Then, Shiva? Vandana Shiva. Vandana Shiva. Yeah. D-A-N-D-A-N-A. -A -A. Cool. Thank you very much, Mirisha. Yeah. It was a great pleasure talking to you, educating myself in the first yeah. place. And I'm I'm not I'm I'm hoping, I know that it, it's gonna be very interesting and valuable and beneficial to to everyone who's listening to this channel. Be it mm -hmm. a man, a woman, a person from the US, Canada, Europe or Africa, Asia, yeah. you name it. Anyway. And also I would suggest just one last thing. It's a documentary I just remembered on Netflix. It's called Cowspiracy, like not conspiracy, but Cowspiracy. Mm -hmm. And it talks about uh, industrial farming and everything and how much that is um, causing climate change and destroying our environment and why uh, eating animals the way that humans do, it's so uh, like unfair. Uh, more than anything and uh, it's it really destroys the nature so i would also suggest that it's just but you know, it's, it's, it's good that you mention it um it's a it's a joke since the time i went to kosovo uh, you meet a person and he or she says oh i'm a vegetarian and they the other party says so you have nothing to eat when you're in, ah, yeah. there is nothing else to eat. So because there is kebabs, meat, and meat, yes. uh, meat with uh, sauced with meat yeah. on top of the meat, yeah. uh, that's gonna be hard. Mental, of course, for people to let go of this meat mentality. 
Um, I, I don't know. I guess once you find that connection, how to say yourself in a human world and your na nature in general, and just you position yourself in this circle, you understand that you know how important it is to just make these you know small changes in your life. And I don't think it can be so hard if you just have the right mindset. Yeah. Otherwise, it can be just a torture. <laughs> it's true. Well. Thanks again. Very interesting talk. Uh, I'm very glad I stumbled upon your interview and was brave enough to invite you. And you were brave, you were brave uh, enough to accept it and say, hey, let, let's do it. So thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you for having me. It was nice talking to you and all the best with your uh, podcast. Ciao, ciao. Bye. appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I hope you loved listening to this episode as much as I loved working on it. And hopefully you learned something new today and got inspired to take action. If you have any questions for me or Mirishahe, please don't hesitate to reach out to either of us or both of us on LinkedIn. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. Subscribe, share on your social media, leave a review on the platform uh, you're listening on. Reading your review will certainly make me over the moon happy. If you review the podcast on our Podchaser page, I will reply to you in person, I promise. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me improve the show and you also help more people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover the channel. I always suggest some other related episodes uh, at the end of, of an interview of the episode. And today I'd like to draw your attention to the episode called Conscious Capitalism, Culture and Leadership with Johanna Lyman from NextGen Orgs. This one is the closest to the topic of gender and racial equality that we have discussed today. And I truly hope you will enjoy it as well and learn a lot. Of course, you're invited to check any other episode that speaks to you. We have now a lot of exciting interviews on this podcast covering a range of topics, flowers, urban studies, biodiversity and conservation, tourism, even sustainable fashion, uh, fashion clothes made of algae, uh, economy and so many more. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, or you can as well suggest guests and topics you'd like me to cover in the future. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 51, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.